If you didn't bring a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers have extra Bibles tonight. Be glad to let you use one. And we'll be going to two openings to begin with, Ephesians 4 and John 14. Ephesians 4 and John 14. Now, I still have on my heart Friday nights, Holy Ghost uh, services. And uh, every time I think about it, and when it comes time for Friday night, that's on my heart, and I'm looking that way. And yet, for the last several uh, Fridays, we've talked about fear. And uh, I still had that on my heart tonight. And in looking at it, I saw the connection. They are connected. You got two places there, but you can hold another one, can't you? Go to, go to Romans 8. Hold those two. Romans 8. And uh, see what this scripture says. What would a Holy Spirit service be? That'd be a service where the Holy Spirit is leading and manifesting. A service where the Spirit of God is leading and directing, not just somebody's head. Yours or mine. But the Holy Spirit leading and directing the service and the Spirit being in manifestation, which would include the 12 gifts and manifestations of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, you know, that we camped on and talked about word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning the spirits, uh, faith, or one translation says special faith, and gifts of healings, and workings of miracles, and uh, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. If it's a Holy Spirit service, then you, you'd see these. Of course, a lot of folks don't discern when the Spirit of God is manifesting. Unless it's only a certain way or two, they don't discern. You know, there can come a prophecy and a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and a discerning spirits through a sermon. And if you didn't know it, you might not notice it. Because you're not necessarily supposed to have a drum roll and go, here comes a manifestation. And you don't have to stop and say, now I'm picking this up by the Spirit. I have a revelation. I'm having a manifestation right now. (laughs) Usually the people that talk like that more in all the time are either people that are very, very young in the things of God are people who are just wanting to be seen and noticed and don't have a manifestation of the Spirit. No, one thing you'll find in 1 Corinthians 12 talks about it. All the manifestations of the Spirit, if they really are manifestations of the Holy Spirit, they will draw attention to and magnify and glorify Jesus, the head of the church. It's not for the magnification of me or you. So uh, this verse here talks about what I saw in the connection of this, about this fear thing that we've been talking about, and the Holy Spirit service. Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 14 is talking about the Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, 
But you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Here he draws a contrast to the Holy Spirit. And he talks about another spirit, doesn't he? What kind of spirit does he refer to here? Spirit of bondage again to fear. How many remember Timothy talks about uh, you didn't receive the spirit of fear? You haven't been given the spirit of fear. Spirit of fear. But of power and of love and a sound mind. And as I was pondering this again today and looking at it, I realized that the Lord is answering our prayer. And he is directing us into what we asked him to do. And the issue is, it's not that we have to pray, 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 and do some amazing things to get God to move. The issue is not talking Him in to moving. The issue is removing the hindrances from Him moving. And this is this way in area after area of life. God is good. And He loves us. You don't have to talk Him in to healing you. What you got to do is get the hindrances out of the way so He can manifest you for you what He has already bought and paid for for you, what He wanted you to enjoy from before you were born. You don't have to talk God into prospering you. Begging and pleading with Him to prosper you and meet your needs. Begging and praying and praying and praying and praying and fasting for God to prosper you is a waste of time. Because He wanted to prosper you before you ever thought about praying. And He is the same in that respect. Before you prayed and while you prayed and when you got through praying... He didn't desire to prosper you any more after you fasted and prayed for 14 days than before you started. Now, I'm not saying that prayer and fasting couldn't help you. But what you need to pray and fast about is to find out where the hindrances are. What you're doing wrong. How you're thinking wrong. How many understand? Too many people work on the sending in. Oh God, oh God, oh God. And it needs to be, oh me. Oh me, oh me. God show me what I need to do with me so you can do what you already want to do. Because if you're able to do for me what you want to do, me's going to be happy. I believe that. But me is the problem, not you. And something that is a huge hindrance the Lord was leading us this way. I didn't see the connection till today. But look at that verse again. What did he say? We didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's not the kind of spirit service we want to have. That's not the kind of direction or leading or manifestation we want either on a Friday night or a Tuesday morning at your house. We want the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit... The spirit of peace and the spirit of liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom. But where the spirit of fear is, there's bondage.
So if we don't have the full manifestation of the leading of the spirit of peace and freedom, and we do have fear and bondage, can you see what the problem is? If we're yielding to fear, if we're yielding to bondage, it's going to be tough to have a spirit service, Holy Spirit service, because we're already having a spirit of fear service. <laughs> spirit of bondage. Said out loud, fear and bondage, fear and bondage. Peace, and liberty. peace and liberty, two different spirits. Now, the whole world is yielding. And the vast majority of beings on the planet is yielding to the spirit of fear. And all you got to do to yield to the spirit of fear is get up in the morning and just think what comes across your mind and yield to how you feel. And you'll be there with everybody else on the planet. Hmm? That's all you got to do. Because the whole flow of the world is in fear and bondage. But we have not been given that spirit. Oh, come on. That's what he's saying. In both of these instances, God didn't give us that spirit. That's the spirit of the world. What did he give us? Power. Love. Sound mind. How many understand? This is not scared and terrified. This is strong and settled and peace and liberty. The spirit of adoption makes you feel like you belong. Makes you feel comfortable. Makes you know you are loved. That is the context of that verse. I never said that just like that before. Are you still there? Again, like we said, revelation can come and you can not even notice it. Look at it. Verse 15 says, You haven't received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself, or most translations in modern say himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are what? He causes us to continuously know and be assured of We're not orphans. We're not hated. We're not scorned and spurned of God. We are His children. He loves us. The spirit of adoption is continuously comforting. Isn't that what He's called? The comforter? Comforting you. Comforting, comforting, reassuring you, encouraging you, causing you to know you are loved. You are accepted in the Beloved. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life. You are a child of the Almighty. He loves you like He loves the Lord Jesus. But there's another spirit. I said there's another spirit prevalent in the world. It's the spirit of fear. Fear that you're not going to make it. Fear that God's mad at you. He's done with you. You've done too much. You've gone too far. You've blown it now. There is no getting back. You know there's a huge number of people in mental institutions that have lost their mind that have something in common. 
huge number of people. They believe they've committed the unpardonable sin. And they don't even know what that is. But the devil plays on ignorance. And what is that? Fear. Fear that you're lost. You've gone too far. You've messed up too bad. You can't get. Somebody says, what about that? What about that? Listen, let me help you out here. With the word of God. If you'll read Hebrews carefully. You'll find that it goes down through the list. Well, in fact, turn there. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, chapter six, talks about people who have done this. The so-called impardonable sin. Most folk don't even have a clue what they're saying when they say that. But this describes a situation where a person would not be pardoned would not be forgiven. And I want you to see it and see how you can tell easily and instantly if you or somebody else is in that case. It's not confusing. It's not hard. Hebrews 6 says, verse 4, It is impossible, that's a strong word to find in the Bible, for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Let's stop right there. What does that mean, every one of those? Been enlightened. That's specifically enlightened to your need of Jesus and salvation. Enlightened to your lost condition without Him. And have tasted of the heavenly gift. Who is the heavenly gift? That's Jesus. How many understand you have been enlightened and you have been born again? You've tasted of the heavenly gift. But that's not it. What else? And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. We'd call these folks spirit-filled. They've been born again and they've been filled with the Spirit. Tongue talkers. And what else? Tasted the good word of God. This is an inference and implication that they're not just milk of the word people. They have some experience. And the Bible talks about, you know, having your taste and yourself exercised to discern. This denotes maturity. But what else? That's not all. And what? The powers of the world to come. Man, that's the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. That's things not normally seen in this world. An example would be Jesus walking on the water. That's a little flash into the world to come. I reckon later on we can all do it. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) But that's not normal for this world. But powers of the world to come. You know, Peter, and he was in jail, and that angel kicked him and said, get up. And he got up, and they walked and got to the gate. It just opened by itself. It's not magic. It's not hocus pocus. It's the power of God. And it really happened. But that's powers of, that's not normal in this world. That's a taste of what's coming. That's going to be normal in the world to come. Glory. 
Somebody say glory. Glory. All the stuff you ever dreamed about or imagined is going to be normal. Jesus with his glorified body, he went from heaven to earth and earth to heaven. He went through walls. He came through locked doors, didn't he? He appeared in different forms. He looked different on different days. Now, a lot of people are going to enjoy that. We, we're not just talking changing your hairstyle. We're talking a totally different look. Because your body's not mortal and it's not limited to the stuff we're limited to now. Man, we got something to look forward to, friends. Glory to God. Glory to God. So they've tasted of that. How many understand this is not a baby Christian? They've been enlightened. They've tasted of the gift. They've been born again. And the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the good word of God. Powers of the world to come. This is somebody who's filled with the Spirit. Tongue talker. They've operated in the gifts of the Spirit. They have a good broad range of the Word of God in them. This denotes a mature one, doesn't it? Why are you saying that? Because you know as well as I, three-year-olds and five-year-olds can say some dumb and ridiculous things that you let go. But if they're 30 years old, it's a different thing. The five-year-old looks at you and goes, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. That's one thing. If a 40-year-old does it, it means a different thing. Now, people say, oh, same thing. No, it's not the same thing. Not with people and not with God. So if a young baby Christian says, I don't want the Lord anymore, and uh, they do something dumb and stupid, that does not mean that they've committed the unpardonable sin. But if somebody that knows all of this and has all this development in them, read the next verse, if they fall away to renew, now you got to go back to verse 4, it says it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. What does that mean? It didn't even say there that God wouldn't forgive them. What did it say? You could not get them to repent. Are you listening now? It didn't say God wouldn't forgive them. What did it say? It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. You can't get them to repent. Mr. says, well, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Does someone so-and-so committed the unpardonable sin? I go, you got one simple question. One easy, simple question. Do you want to be right with God? So easy, so simple. I've had people tell me, crying, well, Brother Keith, I've messed up so bad, I don't know. Maybe I've committed the unpardonable sin. I said, shh, let me ask you one question. Do you want to be right with God? They break down and cry, oh, yes, yes. I'm. I said, forget it, forget it. You've not committed the unpardonable sin. If somebody has done this, they don't want to talk to you about the Lord. They'll probably cuss you out when you try to tell them about the Lord. And this is not some baby that doesn't know anything. This is somebody that got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, full of the Word of God, full of the manifestation of the Spirit. They know what they're doing. And then they say, I don't want Jesus anymore. There's nothing to him. He's just a man. That's nothing. People like that that have done that, they, you cannot talk to them about the Lord. 
They will not hear you. You can't get them to repent. And they're in trouble. Did you hear now? But these people, bless their hearts, a lot of them such baby Christians, they don't even qualify. They couldn't do this. And yet, it's sad. They're all messed up and they quit going to church and they say, God don't love me anymore. I've committed the unpardonable sin. The devil's such a liar and a cruel tormentor, isn't he? Real simple. Do you want to be right with God? Then you couldn't have done this. Then come on and get in and get right. (laughs) We've all sinned and come short. Thank God for the blood of the Lamb. Well, you still got Ephesians? Ephesians 4. We don't need to try to talk the Lord into moving. What do we need to do? Get rid of all the hindrances. And one of the biggest hindrances is fear. And don't think you already know this. Me and you. We ought not think. Oh, I know it. I'm not supposed to have any fear. I know it. I know it. Yeah, knowing that and living fear free is two totally different things. Fear Everybody is continually bombarded by feelings and thoughts of fear. The world's full of it. It's everywhere. It's all around you. It's where you work. It's on every news channel. It's in every show. It's in every movie. In every book. It's secular, I'm talking about everywhere. But God did not give you and me that spirit. So we don't have to have it. We don't have to yield to it. Which means we don't have to have fear in us. And which means we don't have to be in bondage of any kind. We can live knowing God loves us. We can live in peace. And we can live in liberty. In freedom. And the more you and I are like this, the more easily and freely the Spirit will move. And manifest, not just on Friday nights, but everywhere, all the time. Do you understand? What's keeping, what's hindering you from more manifestations of the Spirit? What would be hindering me? Fear. Fear. What's hindering from more healings and more miracles and more manifestations? Fear. Fear. Man, you know, there are thousands of churches in this country where the preacher wouldn't dare talk about a miracle. And nobody in the congregation would dare talk about speaking in tongues or having a healing. They're all scared silly of being kicked out of the denomination for even bringing it up. And everybody's scared about what this one might think or what that one might say. And that's why when you walk in the door, it feels so cold. Everything's so tight. Bondage. Afraid to do this. Afraid to do that. Afraid to think about this. Afraid to talk about that. Afraid. Afraid. I see preachers all the time. And there's a lot of scared preachers. What do you mean? They're scared. They're going to lose their job. They're scared. Their givers are going to quit giving. They're scared somebody's going to get some of their people. They're scared they're going to offend somebody. Hmm? If they preach that verse, it's going to offend this group. If they preach that verse, it might offend that group. Because it is completely now politically incorrect. And so they're scared. 
And how many understand? The more scared you get, what's happening to you? Bondage. Bondage. You are in chains. And let me give you from the word one of the biggest indicators that you are in fear. 1 John 4. We've talked about it, but let's go to it again. Because we need to keep it up. It's like the litmus test. It's like the gauge that tells you fear or faith. Am I in fear? This will let you know. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It says, verse 18. Verse 18, read it out loud. There is no fear. Now stop right there. God is love. So you could say it like that too, couldn't you? There is no fear in God. Well, the Holy Spirit is God. He's the Spirit of God. You could say it like that. There is no fear in the Holy Spirit. Right? He's the Spirit of God. He's the Spirit of love. Jesus is God. You could say it like that. There is no fear in Jesus. No fear. So if we've got fear, what do we know? It's not God. Can't be God. Because there are how much fear in God? None. No. Didn't say not much. None. No. No fear in God. Keep reading. But perfect love casts out fear. Now don't let the word perfect throw you. If you've been around for the last few months, we've talked and touched on this. Perfect means complete. Fully developed. You say it like this. You get full enough of love, there won't be any fear in you. That's another way of saying you get full enough of God. Get full enough of the Spirit. Why? God is love and there's no fear in Him. So if you're full of Him and there's no fear in Him, there's no fear in you. What if there's a lot of fear in you? <laughs> there's not enough God. we got to get some more God in you or me, whatever the case might be. We get enough of God in us. We get full of God. We'll be absolutely fear-free. We won't have one fear if we get full enough of God. Keep reading. He that fears is not made perfect. Now, you know, this is an old English word from, you know, many years ago. And when we hear perfect today, people immediately think unattainable. And that's bad because that's not what he's saying. It means complete. It's like a glass being half full or completely full. He that fears is not full of love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Here's the indicator. Am I in fear? Are you tormented? If fear's there, torment's there. Dread to terror and everything in between, it's just more torment. The more fear you have, the stronger the torment is. Indecision is usually accompanied by fear. Are you with me now? Yes, sir. Do I do it or do I not? Do I get it or do I not get it? What's going on? Are you having fun? Are you enjoying yourself? 
What's going on with you? You're being tormented. This is tormenting you. Now it may not be full blown terror torment. But it's a level. And you could get to the place where you don't know what to do. And you just lock up. Fear. Somebody say fear. Fear. How do you know fear is there? Torment. Don't forget this. Get it etched in you. When you see yourself agitated, upset, annoyed, what's going on? You're afraid of something. You're afraid something's not going to happen. You're afraid you don't going to know what to do. You're afraid you're going to do the wrong thing. And none of it's acceptable with God. None of it. Never is it okay for you and I to have a tormented day. Ever one of us <laughs> has experienced this in varying degrees. But we didn't have to then, and we don't have to tomorrow. If we get full of love, if we get full of God, our tormented days will be gone. Does that sound good to you? No more torment? Someone said, what do I do if I don't know what to do? You relax and get in faith. You ask God to show you, and you just kind of lean back and relax and say, Lord, I thank you for showing me what to do. And even if your head is blank as a sheet of paper, you start saying, I always do the right thing. He always leads me and guides me. I will make the right decision. I will do the right thing. You can say it in peace. You can say it in faith. And you can just make yourself wait till you know, until you're sure, but always confident That you will know. Why would you fear? What would you be fearing about? God may not tell me. He may not get the money to me in time. He may not love me enough to make it plain to me and walk me through it. And I know you may be upset about that thing I did yesterday and Because it's like the 99th time I've done that. And and I'm just not as spiritual as brother so-and-so. Like you knew how spiritual he was. (laughs) You ain't got a clue how spiritual somebody else is. But the devil will come to you and go, well, you know, they can hear from God. But you know, you. Fear. Anything, anything. To get you in fear. And how would you know if it's working? You're not smiling. You're sitting there rubbing your head. How many know you don't have to say a word? Ah, Lord. Help me, Jesus. (laughs) Y'all, y'all pray. Well, I'll be honest, it ain't going to help a lot unless you get out of fear. Now listen, don't cut me off. What would we be praying about? I need to know what to do. Wonder why he's not telling you. Now here's the thing. He's been trying to tell you. But this fear has got you on the wrong channel. To even pick it up. Did you hear me now? And pulling on him 
to try to get him to tell you and give you what you need is working on the wrong end. Oh, friends, are you with me tonight? This, this is the truth. This is what makes us free. Fear is an awful thing. Fear can cut you off from the wisdom of God. Fear can cut you off from the healing power of God. Fear can cut you off from the provision of God. Did you hear me? And fear can cut you off from everybody else that loves you. What do you mean? Fear, oh, oh, the things people have said and done because they were afraid are some of the most cruel, hurtful, damaging things said and done. And remember, the spiritual law, the principle, your fears will come on you. This is not just a theory. This is a spiritual law. And acting on a fear is just one of the worst things a man or woman could do in this world. Because it's like acting in faith. It's how you get the most amazing miracles is to act in faith. But if you act on a fear, it gives the destroyer a legal right and access into your life. To bring to pass in destruction and damage and stealing and killing and destroying what you fear. He has a right to bring it on you. Friend, we need to be aware of this every day of our lives, don't we? Because any of us could be tempted to fear at any time. Everything's around us. But we need to know what's in the balance. You still have Ephesians 4 and John 14? Just go to John 14 for time's sake. Ephesians 4, you already know it. Verse 27 said, Neither give place to the devil. John 14 makes it even plainer in my estimation. Jesus' own words. If the word says don't give place to the devil, does that mean you can keep from giving place to him? It's within your power not to give him a place? Has to mean that, doesn't it? And in John 14, Jesus said it like this. John 14 and 27. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. What spirit did he give us? (laughs) Not the spirit of fear. Spirit of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. We talked about that last time. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. How many know you can't find this peace in the world? All they got's more fear for you. Now read that last sentence. Let not your heart be troubled. Who's the understood subject? You are not to let your heart be troubled. And it goes on to say, and you go back to the understood subject, you are not to let it be afraid. Who is to prevent you from being in fear? You are. I'm to prevent me from being in fear. Now one of the biggest lies that the devil has sold people on is that you can't help it. And if you believe that, you're in trouble. I said you're in trouble. we got to realize, like we talked before, symptoms of fear are just like symptoms of sickness. Just because you feel, look, and, you know, have symptoms of being sick doesn't mean you have to just throw up your hands and go, well, I'm sick. 
I feel sick, I look sick, I am sick. That's it. Sick I am and sick I'll be. No, that's where faith comes in. Even though you do look and feel that way, you can say, by his stripes, I am healed. I call my body healed. I refuse to yield to this sickness. I resist this. I challenge its right to be in my body. And I resist it. And didn't the Bible say, you know, he said, don't give place to the devil. How many know it also said resist the devil? And what would happen? Didn't say he'd stay in your face. Say he would flee. Not just leave, flee. Flee means get out of there in a hurry. We have authority. And we got to know that concerning fear. Fear is exactly the same way. I don't care if tears are running down your cheeks. I don't care if your knees are bumping together. If the hair is standing up on your arms and the back of your neck. And everything says you're terrified. What is that? Symptoms. It's still my choice. Hmm? No matter how I feel, what I see, what kind of thoughts are coming to me, it's still my choice whether I let it get in me. All this is on me, not in me. Oh, come on, do you see that? Thoughts, feelings, tears, bumping knees, hair standing up, that's on you, on you, on you, around you. On you, not in you. You may not be able to control everything that comes by you or around you or tries to come on you, but you are completely in control of what you let get in you. It's a choice. Jesus said so. He went further and said, don't let it. Didn't he? Look at it again. Red letters. Red letters. What did Jesus say? Let not. Didn't say try. Didn't say do your best. What did he say? Don't let your heart be troubled. Now, do we believe the words of Jesus? Do we take them seriously? Do we? What did he tell us? Don't let your heart be troubled. Well, what if you're troubled? Well, everybody has rough days sometimes. You know, everybody gets upset about something sometimes. We all have troubles. Now, man, you got to watch this. You got traditional beliefs, and you've got biblical beliefs. And Jesus warned us. That many had made the word of God of absolutely no effect in their life because of holding on to their traditions. Well, everybody has trouble sometimes. Preacher, well then you just ignored what Jesus said. This means nothing to you. Come on, tell me what the head of the church. The head of the church. Doesn't come any more important than the head of the church. The head of the church said, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Did he say to you, me, every believer that ever followed him, did he say, Don't let yourself be afraid? 
Did he say it? Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let yourself be afraid. Don't let it. Don't let it. Then what should we do? (laughs) Yeah, but what if some really bad things happen? There are no, he didn't make any notes. He didn't say, in extreme situations, see note at end of chapter. Uh uh. Uh uh. And how many know that he's speaking by the Spirit of God, and that's talking about the one who knows the end from the beginning? And before he ever said it, he already took into account any possible situation that could ever happen to any of us. And he still looked at us and said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be afraid. Don't let it. What does that mean? It means I can resist it. Doesn't it? It means by the grace of God, by the name of Jesus, by the greater one inside me, I can stand and face those symptoms. And no matter what's coming on me, I can say, no, no, no. I refuse. I know I feel afraid, but I refuse to. I refuse to give in to this. I resist this fear. Come on, say it out loud. I resist this fear. I resist this. I refuse to fear. I refuse to. Now, friend, this is what the devil didn't want you to find out. <laughs> because if he cannot get you to fear, he has no right to touch you. He has no legal spiritual foot to stand on. He's got nothing. He's got no access to you. Glory to God. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Shoo. Turn with me. This is point one. Genesis three. <laughs> Genesis three. This first part wasn't established well enough. So we needed to camp on it some more. And that's what we've been doing. But I want to get into some more practical, specific ways you can identify fear and resist it. Because people have grown up in fear. Their parents were fearful. Their grandparents were fearful. Their teachers and their coaches were fearful. And they don't even realize they're yielding to fear like they are. They've just grown up like this. They think it's just natural, normal way of living and operate. And don't realize they just got the door open on both sides and the window in the back where the devil can come in and kill, steal, and destroy. And they don't even acknowledge that that's happening. They blame it on God. Well, God in his mysterious ways destroying my life. We don't know why, but he must have some reason for it. And the devil's just laughing, just laughing while he's tearing up the church. But for when we find out what gives him access, we can shut it off like a faucet. We can, we can shut the doors and the window. Come home now. And he can be doing like what he was doing with Job for all those years, just circling, wanting to get in, and can't. Because God's got a hedge 
about us and everything we have. And the evil one touches us not. Glory. Glory. Why? Because we fear not. There's no fear in us. So he has no access to us. Glory to God. You believe this? Is this real to you? There are numerous ways people yield to fear. But here's a couple of big ones. And they tie together. Now before we go any further, is there an indicator that you could tell that you're yielding to fear? What is it? Torment. And there's all different degrees of torment. There's a little bit of torment and there's terrible degrees of torment. But suffice it to say, you lose your peace. You lose your joy. You're not smiling. You're troubled. And what did the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, tell you? Don't. Don't. (laughs) Don't. Let your heart be troubled. Don't. Let yourself be afraid. Look back where it started, Genesis, third chapter. And you see one of the first ways that man yielded to fear. Genesis 3, they have disobeyed God. They have eaten the forbidden fruit. Terrible manifestation of spiritual death has occurred. And verse 8, Genesis 3, 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. This is verse 8. In the cool of the day. Now, had this happened before? Yeah. And what did they do other times? They came and talked to the Lord. They had personal fellowship with the Almighty. It had happened. We don't know how long it had happened. We don't know. Could have been a hundred years. Could have been a thousand years. Could have been a year. I don't know. But they had fellowshiped with the Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth. And now this is amazing. You know, they were in his presence and weren't consumed and didn't die and weren't overwhelmed by him. He talked to them. You know, this stuff that is taught in our schools and universities. And they got the origin of man and hairy folks looking at each other going, ugh, in a cave. Mm -mm, Sorry, but no. These are beings made in the image and likeness of Almighty God. And they are talking with Him, conversing with Him, understanding Him. No uggs, no grunts. Adam says, God, that is an amazing sunset. You know, we think we've seen some pretty sunsets, but they've all been since the earth was messed up with the curse. We're going to see some stuff later on. He said, God, how did you do that? And he told him and he understood God brought the animals to him and said, what should this one be called, Adam? And he didn't just say, 
Bob. Let's call him Jabbo. Let's call her Tiffy. No, it's a, he's not talking about some little moniker. He's talking about what you look at this and tell me what this is. What it should be called. It's classification. It's order. And he named them. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Talking to God in the afternoon, brilliant. Brilliant. And this has happened over and over again. Day after day, day after day, day after day. Everybody, you know, well, everybody, them too, <laughs> knows that after lunch, God comes blowing in, literally. And they talk and hang out. But this time, it's different, isn't it? What's different this time? They heard the voice, that means sound, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And verse 10, when uh, the Lord called for him and said, where are you? Now, do you think the Lord really didn't know where they were? What's he saying? Why aren't you here like you always are? Of course, he knew the answer to that too, but he's wanting him to think and answer him. And verse 10, he answered him. What did he say? I heard your voice in the garden or your sound of you coming in, and I was what? I was what? Did this happen before sin? No. uh -uh. This is something new. Is it good? Are they enjoying this at all? Oh, man. Are they in torment? They're cowering in the bushes. Are they being tormented? Because I was naked. And here it says it again. I hid myself. Now listen friend. This is one of the first ways you see. Man yield to fear. Is by hiding. Somebody say hiding. And over the generations, men continue to do it and have just developed myriads of ways to do it. I was afraid, so I hid. What is a chief way people, including God's people, yield to fear? Hiding. Hiding. Hiding stuff. Hiding what they did. Hiding money, hiding stuff they bought, hiding where they were, hiding what they thought, what they said, hiding, hiding, hiding. Why would you hide stuff? Why would you hide things from people? Did you hear how quiet it got? Hiding. And what goes along with the fear of hiding? Torment. Somebody's liable to find out tomorrow. And you know what else goes along with hiding? Lying. Lying. That's one of the chief ways that people hide stuff. They lie to cover it, to keep it hid, to keep you from finding out. Lying, 
Where were you? Where is it? How much did you spend? Who were you with? Who were you talking to? Why don't people tell the truth? Fear. Is it okay? And yet you've got the vast majority of inhabitants on the planet will tell you, well, everybody lies sometimes, you know. It's, you know, it's part of being human. And people act like it's a completely legitimate excuse if you find out about stuff and you pin them down. Well, why would you tell me that? Well, I, I was afraid. I was afraid to tell you. People act like that's a justifiable reason. Well, bless their hearts, they were afraid. There is, there never will be, any acceptable excuse for telling a lie. Never. Thank God there's forgiveness and cleansing. But never does anybody have justification for telling a lie. Now, I know you've heard me talk about some of these things if you've been around, but I want you to understand, this is not just Keith Moore's opinion. God hates lying. Do you understand this? I'm quoting the Bible. He hates it. You remember in Proverbs, it says there are six things God hates, yea, seven. Remember that? Go back and look at it. Proverbs. Look what's on the list. Things that God hates. Proverbs 6. Verse 16. Proverbs 6, 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Now, I understand that is a strong statement. We're talking about love himself. Hate is just almost incongruous to using the same sentence with God. He's love. And yet, here's something love hates. Well, then it must be bad. What does God hate? A proud look. He hates pride. A lying tongue. You know they go together. Pride and lying. Now, this is also why so many lies are told. Not just afraid, but wanting to impress. Which is tied into fear. Afraid you'll find out who I really am. So we got to jazz it up some. Stretch it. Make it bigger. Seeking to impress. Does God hate that? He does. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies. Whoa, whoa, wait. I thought he already said that. He must double hate it. Out of the list of seven, two of them's on the same thing. A false witness that speaks lies and he that sows discord among the brethren. And you know a lot of times, what's that including? Lying on this one or that one and stirring up trouble. Because a lot of times if everybody told the truth to everybody, it never would have got out of hand. The discord wouldn't have got to that level. God hates Lies. He hates lying and so should you. How many think it's right to love what God loves and hate what God hates? 
Didn't say he hated liars. Didn't say he hated liars. He loves liars. And so should you. But that don't mean you have to love their lying. Can you hate what somebody does and love them? Yes, Yes, you can. God does us. (laughs) He doesn't love everything you and I have done. But he still loves us. Let me read some other scriptures to you. Don't turn there. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Jesus said it. Read it again so strongly. He said the devil is the father of lying. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks his own. Somebody said out loud, I hate lying. Why do people lie a lot of times? To hide. It's a chief way of hiding. What are you hiding from? Why are you hiding? Why would somebody tell a lie? Why would you lie? Because you're afraid. I've had people look at me with tears and go, I don't think they can take it. I don't think they can handle the truth. I just don't think, well, where did the Lord tell you, though, that this was an option? Why do you think this is an available option? We haven't taken this seriously enough, friends. Now, you may think I've digressed, but if you yield to fear, is there a spiritual law involved? Is the enemy involved? If you yield, okay, you're in the middle of something, they've asked you a question, you're afraid to tell them the truth, this is a fear. What if you lie and act on that fear? What did you just do? You just yielded to the devil, which means you just yielded and gave him access into your life to bring what you're afraid of to pass on you. You've given him a legal spiritual right to cause to happen what you're afraid of happening. Whether it happens today or tomorrow or next week or next year, you did. People have not realized how serious it is. To act on a fear. And why would you be so afraid? Well they may not care about me anymore. They may kick me out. They may fire me. They may do this. They may do that. It's time. To have faith. In the love of God. It's time to have faith. In the grace of God. Now what if they run me off? Well, God's grace will come in there somewhere. Somehow, as long as I'm doing the right thing, I've got a right to stand and expect for his grace. Come on, can you see this? But what if I'm yielding to fear? Then the devil has a right to come in and work destruction. Are you still in Proverbs? Go over to the uh, 28th chapter. Proverbs 28. Now friend, if you're serious about this, you get it settled in you once and for all that for me, to much you for yourself, that you're saying for me, lying is not an option. Ever. 
Ever. It's not, it's no need for me to consider telling a lie. It's not an option. God has not given me that option. I have to tell the truth. No plan B. No other alternative. That's it. I have to. Because I want the grace of God in my life. I want my faith to work. I don't want the devil to have a right to destroy me. I don't want my fears to come on me. I face fear and I resist it. And I count on the grace of God. And the love of God to get me through. And that what I fear will not come on me. But the grace of God will come on me. Even when I've missed it. (laughs) I said even when I've missed it. Even when I've messed up. Somebody says yeah but they may pitch a fit. They may. But God will be right there with you. They may kick me out. It's possible. But God will be right there with you. And if he's with you. Come on now. The psalmist said, even if my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. If you got him and you got peace, come on, you can make it. If you lose him, you got nothing. I don't care what you think you got with other people. Without his grace in the mix, it can all go away. And how many know that there is no such thing as a lie that can't be found out? This is another lie that the enemy tells people. Nobody will know. Nobody will find out. This is how he operates. How many remember he told them concerning the forbidden fruit? What did he tell them? You won't die. Didn't he tell them that? They said, now Jehovah said, don't eat it. Because if you eat it, you'll die. He said, no, no. You never met anybody smoother talker than the devil. Now, he's smart, too. People talk about old dumb slowfoot. Oh, no, no. He was in the presence of God for who knows how long. He's very wise in an evil way. He's brilliant in an evil way. Although, he's getting dumber by the day. So what do you mean? Apart from the light of God, that's the only way you can go. He's not smarter than he used to be. He's duller than he used to be. And it can only go that way apart from God. Oh, but you talk about a talker. Oh, man, he poured it on with Eve. And he said, no, 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 no. I know he said that, but when you eat this, you're going to come alive. You're going to know things and see things that you have never imagined. You're going to see what he sees. You're going to know what he knows. That's why he told you don't eat it because, you know, he likes to be God. And this keeps you and him, you know, in your place. You won't die. He just told you you'd die, but you won't you won't die. You won't. Somebody say liar. 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 Did they die? Yes. The moment they ate, they died. 
Everything around them started. How many know God cannot lie? He's never told a lie. If He tells you something, that's how it's going to be. And if you try to listen to something else, that it's going to be different, then you're just a fool. Uh, where are you? Before you read that, listen to this. Don't turn there, just listen. Luke 8, 17 says, Nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. How much? Neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. How much? How much that's hid is coming out? Everything. Luke 12, 1 through 3. Jesus said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Do you believe that or not? Yes. Says, well, I know somebody, and they told this big lie, and it never came out their whole life, and they got away with it. It ain't over. <laughs> it ain't over. Nobody ever gets away with anything. Ever. Never have, never will. And yet people every day are believing these lies. Oh, you can do it and get by with it. Nobody will ever find out. Nobody will ever find out. Somebody say, liar, liar, liar. You can do it and it won't cost you. That's what he told them. First Timothy 5, 24 and 25. Listen to this. First Timothy 5, 24. Some men's sins are open beforehand. Going before to judgment, and some men they follow after, later. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. There are some that people know what they did while they're here, and they are made big accolades, and they're given rewards, and there are others that work hard and serve the Lord, and you never see them, you never know about it, but how many know there's coming a time they're going to be pointed out and rewarded, and really, you'd rather get yours later. Later is best. So if somebody's not noticing you, not appreciating you, not giving you a star or a medal, you ought to go, glory to God, glory to God. Mine's coming out later. (laughs) When it's a big deal. (laughs) Because how many know you can have the biggest honor party to honor you on earth and everybody shows up and tomorrow they forget about it, right? I mean... It's good to honor them to whom honor is due, but among men, it just ain't that much to it. But whether it's sins or good works, nothing escapes the eye of the Lord. There's only one way, only one way that your sins don't follow you forever. Anybody know what that is sitting up in this church house tonight? Do you know? It is the blood of the Lamb. But you don't receive the benefits of the blood of the Lamb by lying and pretending and ignoring what you've done. Do you? Proverbs 28, are you there? Verse 13. 
He that covers his sins, what? Shall not prosper. So can you prosper while you cover your sins? Maybe the Lord make an exception for you. Hmm? Is there any way you're going to prosper covering and hiding your sins? You can't. What if you sow a lot? Make a lot of confessions. Work real hard. The Bible is true. Isn't it? Now the devil will tell you. Oh no, no, no. You can just keep it covered. It'll never come out. Just forget it. Just no. But the Bible's true. And that explains some things. Why some folks, it looks like they're doing everything right. <laughs> and you just can't figure out why things are not working for them. But see, you don't know their heart. But, I'm glad the rest of that's in there. But what? But what? Whoso confesses and forsakes them shall what? Shall have mercy. Mercy means you don't get the judgment you should have got and you do get the blessing you didn't deserve. Now who gets that? Not the liars and the hiders. They don't get it. Oh, friend, are you with me tonight? This is a huge, huge, huge deal. I'm telling you, preachers are lying to their congregation. Preachers are lying to preachers. I've had preachers look me right in the eye and just lie to me. Parents are lying to their children. And are shocked when their child lies to them. And indignant. And pitch a fit. And are hypocrites. Don't be shocked. If you lie to your boss. You lie to your spouse. And then your child lies to you. Or your teenager lies to you. You hide things from your employer. You hide things from your spouse. And your child is hiding things from you. It's to be expected. Everything produces after its own kind. And you got no right to jump on them about lying to you. And you're lying to somebody else. You're a hypocrite if you do. And nobody respects a hypocrite. Nobody respects a hypocrite. It's not reasonable to expect your children to respect you if you're a hypocrite. I demand respect. You can't demand it. You can try. You can make them do stuff. That don't make them respect you. You will respect me. They may never respect you. (laughs) They don't have to. Will you live in my house under my roof? You'll respect me. They may do what you say, but that don't mean they respect you. You can't demand respect. You earn respect by being consistent. Day in, by doing things people can respect. By being the kind of person people can respect. Now we've all made mistakes. But we can change. I said we can change.
We don't have to be that way. We don't have to live that way. If you hide and you cover up your sins, what's going to happen? You will not prosper. But can you get out of it? Can you get help? What do you got to do? You got to step up. This takes strength. You got to step up. You got to be a man. You got to step up. You got to be a woman of God. You got to step up and say, I did it. Yeah, I did it. How could you overcome your fear and do that? Because you have confidence that God loves you anyway and that his word is true. And that no matter what they respond or how they do, God told you he would give you mercy. It's written right here. Didn't he say it? He told you he would give you mercy. And he would grace you and help you. And faith in that love could help you overcome fear. Can't it? There are so many people. They're tormented. They want to be closer to individuals. They want to be closer to their parents. They want to be closer to their children. They want to be closer to their husband. They want to be closer to their wife. And they demand and push on them and scream at them and fuss and fight. And all the time, they're hiding stuff. And they're lies. And it is written that you cannot prosper doing that. So it doesn't make any difference how much you cry or how much you scream or how mad you get or how many dishes you break. It ain't gonna change. How do you get close? People let you get close because they trust you. And if you're a liar, they shouldn't trust you. You're not trustworthy. But you can change. You can change tonight and become one of the truth tellingest people in the state. You might have been the biggest liar in the county. I'm telling you, you can change by the grace of God, you could change tonight and in a short matter of time get a reputation. Huh? It's Ted the truth teller. Tina the truth teller. So I'll tell you one thing about that Tina now. She will flat tell you the truth. She will never lie to you. What happens? People begin to trust you. They know they can trust what you say. They know if you say it's not there, it's not there. If If they say they didn't do it, then they didn't. If they say they weren't there, you can count on them. That intimacy can begin to come back. That closeness can begin to be rebuilt. It can take a little time. But it can be. Are y'all with me now? But how many understand you can go for six years and not tell a lie and never hide anything and things be going real good and tell one lie and mess it all up again. Is that right? Put you back to point zero. You can't trust a liar. Period. What if God ever lied to us one time? It just can't be. Thank God the Bible said it is impossible. <laughs> That's one thing is impossible. What? Can never happen. There's no scenario where it could ever happen. What? That God could lie. 
Aren't you glad? Which means we no need us tossing and turning and worrying our little minds about it. If he tells you something, that's it. And if we're children of God, we're supposed to imitate our Father. Which means it should become that way with us that there just is no way we're lying. If it costs us our car, if it costs us our house, if it costs us somebody's friendship supposedly, no, we got to tell the truth. we got to. We do not have an option. We've got to. That way we keep the door closed to fear. That way we keep ourselves in grace. Can you say amen? amen? Stand on your feet, everybody. Close your eyes. Draw near to the Lord by faith. Oh, Father, I praise you. I give you glory. I draw near to you by faith. You who are holy and pure. And perfect. You who cannot lie. Oh we worship you. We adore your purity. We adore your perfection. We reverence. And hold it in high. High esteem. We give you glory and praise. For your excellentness. Oh thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.